Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. And here's the second half of the interview I had with Scott Walton of Logitech. Do hope you enjoy the show. So another thing to consider, I agree with you about the price, right? This $800 price seems to be one of the issues to consider. But the other one is flexibility. I read recently that the average CMO will have a greater IT budget than the CIO of most organizations within five years. And so what does an IT manager I don't want to do is put a monolithic technology in and say, hey, guys, everyone now use this, this hardware box, because the people you're going to do video conference calls with, or audio conference for that matter, is fundamentally going to be changing and dynamic and out of your control. And you can't turn around to your top three customers and say, you must use our monolithic video conferencing solution. They're not going to accept it. They're going to say, no, 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 we use Hangouts, and this guy uses WebEx, and, the, and that matters. So now that, that, that then brings up the next point, which is things like Slack and Spark, right? Cisco Spark, huge announcements last month. Um, Bebo, which is now owned by Amazon, Circuit by Unify, these things seem to be changing the way that people work. There's, they're trying to get out of this. Everything's communicated on, on instant messenger or email, and they're not connected. Telephony is now part of this solution. Video is becoming part of this solution. And they seem to be plugging into a Slack or a Spark solution. Uh, I'm fascinated by how that's going to go, but what's your thoughts on this? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, the, the Slack-type communication um, programs, I think inevitably they're going to, they're, they are seem to be taking over and um, they're going to have the video and voice natively built in. So today they're plugins, but tomorrow I see Slack as being one of the biggest video providers, Facebook, um, Atlassian with HepChat. <clears throat> and part of the way I see it is you have two kinds of uses. You have the unified communications or video community collaboration solutions where you're intentionally saying, I want to communicate and I want to have this solution. But I think just as likely you could be communicating via chat and then you want to escalate and you don't want to move to another place or another system. You just do it within that system. So I think you will see both. And I think these work stream communication solutions are really interesting and may, uh, may in the near future take it down from you to be like $100 a month to like two or free. Or... So we're going we're gonna to see both of these things depending on where you start. And I, I think it brings up an interesting point in that if you're a CIO, if you look two, three, five, or 10 years out from now, we, we all have no idea what the cloud solutions that are going to win um, will be out there. I think it was an example you gave in your book where you looked at the defense industry and they bought the uh, F-35, I think, plane and trillions yeah. of dollars uh, spending it. And it was actually the right decision at the time. But they had no idea that there would be a world with drones. And now we've committed to this thing and we have to build it and we have to waste all this money. We'll probably throw it all in I think the message for CIO is build something that's future-proof that can kind of work with no matter what. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm sorry, I'm smiling at the phrase, the phrase, the phrase even future-proof uh, as much as you can. Right, hedge your bets. Certainly, this whole idea that the the F-35, you know, as you rightly say, a, a 1.5 trillion dollar aircraft, and it's going to fight who? And and by the way, my X-47 uh, drone next year 
will absolutely murder your F-35 because, one, I put 20 of them up, two, it pulls 20 G-turns, and three, oh, you've shot 19 of them down. Oh, well, never mind. It's just a bit of hardware. And um, it, it changes the game. And I think this is true in our world, too. This whole idea that, you know, CIOs, I look at it increasingly and go, I wouldn't want to be a CIO, frankly. It's, it's not a, it's not the, I'm sure it's a fine job and they're wonderful people, but they have a tough role. They need to make decisions for an organization which are going to last five years, probably at least. And they don't know what the market is going to go, which way it's going to go, and they don't know what their users are going to want. And no one... What they told me is that if, if they can't make a decision five years out, what they'd rather have is a good technology that if they make them... If it's bad, they can just throw it out or upgrade it. So I think part of what's happening in the IT world is you used to have this, well, I'm going to buy a system and it's going to last for 20 years. But now it either needs to be a cloud solution where you constantly upgrade it, or if it's hardware, it's going to be something where you throw it out. Yeah. My suggestion was, and I've talked about this at some length elsewhere, is that you do a layered solution, right? So that no one failure in a, in a technology um, means that the whole thing is no longer fit for purpose. There is this sense that you can build a solution that this bit works and this bit works, but that's okay. Those components can be switched out for something else. But then you need to have something, which I have to say does play rather well into your hands, and I'm not trying to be too self-serving here, but it does work very well for Logitech, that really whatever the customer decides, if the, if the world suddenly decides the answer to every business problem is Zoom or Slack or, or Skype for business or life-size cloud, then you got to you're going to win. Uh, of course, the point from your perspective is well, that's such a sweet spot to be in. Doesn't everyone now want to be in that spot? But I guess that's why you come up with new products all the time. Well, I think um, the cloud providers don't necessarily want to be in the hardware business. That's the message they give to us. So that's number one. Number two is I think even if someone wants to enter our business, it's not just building the product. It's the distribution system. It's we build our own, we don't run our own manufacturing in China. It's, there's a huge, a much bigger barrier to entry than doing software. So I think people can come in, but I think what they realize is we've got a multi-billion dollar distribution system and that's just hard to match. Yeah. In fact, using a military analogy, uh, people have pointed out that the Chinese are building a, a carrier fleet now, and it's nothing like the size of the US one. But more importantly, these things are so sophisticated that it will take them 50 years to learn to be as good as an American carrier fleet is because the Americans have spent 70 years running carriers. Yeah. And the first 20 years, they weren't very good at it, relatively. Of course, nobody else had any, so they were great. But you know, in a competitive world, you have to be better than the other guy is. And that takes a lot of learning. Uh, in that particular instance, of course, by the time they've learned how to build a carrier fleet, carrier fleets will be the way of the dreadnoughts. They'll be useless old technologies no one wants anymore. Well, I think the other thing you've got to do is not rest on your laurels. Like our strategy also is to constantly come out with new products. Um, that part of, part of what we're doing is coming out with new products by really trying to keep the price the same but make them much better so that um, people can try to catch up to where you were, but they got to they got to catch up to where you're going. Okay. So you're showing off lots of new stuff. Um, and I know Logitech has been in and out of a number of shows this, over the last few years. So will you be at ISE 2016 in Amsterdam? Will you be at Enterprise Connect and will you be at Infocom? So we're going to be at all of them, um, and we're going to be doing our global launch of our successor to the CC 3008. It's called Logitech Group, and um, we're really excited about it because the CC 3000 is really our flagship product, and uh, we're going to make Group a uh, much, much better product, especially on the audio side where we're really raising the bar on the audio. The video will be better, too. Uh, 
but we think this will really be the product at the right time to really have explosive growth in this category. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it's funny, a number of people I've worked with in the past have always been very impressed with the camera side of the uh, CC3000, and they were picky audio engineers, to be fair to them, but they were less wildly ecstatic about the audio. Having said that, I do remember looking and seeing that Amazon gave it a 4.7 stars, so plenty of people thought that the audio and the video were actually excellent on the CC3000. Yeah, it gets great reviews, but we're not resting on our laurels. I mean, we want to make it even better. And I think the one area that we wanted to really improve on was the audio. Taking the same philosophy, by the way, I and mean, we were targeting the uh, $1,000 to $2,000 speaker phones, but we wanted to deliver them in the same price point with the camera as $999. So I think if we can do that, and I think we have done it, um, it's going to be pretty disruptive to all the people out there who are selling their standalone speaker phones. Now, I hadn't really thought about that. Right? One of the things, I, I was at Polycom 15 years ago now, and one of the stories was we should replace all those Starship, Spaceship phones with video conferencing technologies. And it didn't seem to notice management, didn't seem to notice that it was 20 times more money to buy and probably 50 times more money to install and, and run. But you're now in a position where you're suggesting that audio is or video is such a small percentage more than audio that actually it's just a no-brainer, do it all. Well, I mean, what we've heard from the enterprise customers is nobody wants five speakerphones on their table. So to the extent that you can take our product that has a speakerphone and a camera and you could just have it at the same price as the speakerphone, um, why have both? Just move, move all the video. I couldn't agree more. As a man who's been obsessed with video conferencing since 1992, I'm fully with you. But the audio has got to be good enough. So I think that's why this new release is really important to us, is making sure that it meets that threshold for making it great. And also we're adding extension mics. So in the past, we were really good at small, medium conference rooms. Now we'll be able to do them up to 20 people in a room. So that'll, you know, it won't address them all, but 95%, 97% of rooms. Sure. Get right in the middle. I mean, that's the obvious thing to do in a market. Don't go to the edge. You just go right in the middle and let everyone else trip over you. It's a nice position to be in. So moving away from Logitech briefly, um, what other products and services and stuff are you seeing out there that are inspiring, inspiring you presently? Overall on the market? Or sure, anything, any, I mean, any market. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be in our space at all or in the video conferencing space. What products are you looking at? A couple of weeks ago, and I saw the flying drone, kind of the helicopter. And, uh, you know, maybe think that people are talking about having flying planes where you fly them. But it, it seemed to me that if, if, if all of us could fly over traffic, instead of sitting in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic in all of our respective cities, if you could fly in and, and uh, you know, take an Uber copter, 10 minutes to work, um, to me, that, that seemed like it wasn't actually that far off, given what they showed at CES. That was pretty amazing. You think that would be an accession event? I mean, I think self-driving cars should solve the, uh, should solve the traffic problem. I'm not sure I'd want a self-driving car. Why, not? Why wouldn't I want a self-flying car? Might be a little more expensive to run. Why do I want a car? No, but if I'm going, if I'm going for, if I'm going at a certain at a certain distance, I think it makes sense to fly. Well, I, I think that's an interesting angle about self-driving cars is that you have a self-driving vehicle and therefore you Uber it or Lyft it, whichever one you want, and whichever one is the most suitable or the one that you're prepared to pay the out mile rate for. Is probably if you're in a hurry and you want to pay twenty dollars a minute, whatever it is that a flying vehicle would cost you, then hit that button on the on the app. 
If you're prepared to go somewhat slower because you only want to pay three cents a mile, then hit that and, a, I don't know, a, a smart car will turn up. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that, you know, the other thing at CES that was interesting is uh, looking at the effect of Moore's Law on everything. It's not a consumer electronics show anymore. It's a, it's a show of life where they're basically processors and sensors and everything. And there were some things that were neat, like the ability to, for watering my lawn. It, there's some sensors that you put in the soil. So it tells you the, the moisture composition and it tells you by each part of the the uh, the lawn. Now, for most people in the in the world, it may not be a big deal, but in California, where we have had droughts and the cost of, of water is so expensive, I thought that was really neat. I mean, there are a whole bunch of other things, just putting sensors into everything that I uh, I think is just, we're just at the beginning of this phase of, of of sensors dropping down to zero. And what else can you put sensors in? Yes, I think. I mean, you say it may not be very important for lawns. Uh, lawns take more water and more fertilizer than all other crops in America combined. Uh, and what do you do? You stare out at it and go, there's a brown patch. I mean, you never actually use your lawn unless you've got dogs or a small children. Most of us just use it to keep the neighbors at bay. Right. But, but we spend more money on fertilizer and water on that than we do on all of agriculture. There's something wrong with that. There is something wrong with that. And I think that's a solution to solve the problem. Yeah, because personally, I don't think the answer is zero scaping. Because, it, one, it looks ugly, to me at least, and two, surrounding your house with rocks in a town like Austin, Texas, means that your house then gets to one billion degrees on, a south, on an August afternoon. It's crazy. Well, I was also in Israel um, in May, and uh, the thing I noticed of going to Israel over a number of years, they went from having this desert-like drought to uh, they're exporting water now, and it's partly because they're, they're doing, uh, um, what's it called? The drip irrigation? No, the technology where you're, you're basically creating water. Oh, osmosis, reverse osmosis, or, or yeah. And they're using the old technology. There's a new one now that you can use uh, nanotechnology and carbon tubes. It's 100 times cheaper. So we may be in a situation, you know, the world's getting into a drought, but we have all this water in the oceans. Maybe in 10, 20 years from now, this idea of a drought will be ridiculous. We'll be swimming in water. Israel is, and they're just they're at the beginning of a, a trend, I think. Yeah, I do hope you're right. I mean, of course, we're not... I'll just to confirm, we're not out of water. It doesn't disappear. I mean, you drink it, it comes back out again. You put it on the lawn, it evaporates again. Right. Potable water is the problem. One, the 1% of 1%. 1% of all water on the planet is fresh. 1% of that is drinkable. So that seems like that would be a solvable problem. And then I've, I've been, uh, I started my career in the solar industry before I got into telecom. And uh, it seems like solar is on the verge of a revolution right now where we'll be 20 years from now or kids and grandkids will be scratching their heads saying, why did they burn that uh, oil? That was too valuable. They could have been making drones in plastic. Sure. It's the, it's the, uh, the problem with yesterday's sunshine, which is effectively what carbon is. You're burning carbon fuels. It's yesterday's sunshine. Let's, we're wasting almost all of the sunshine that comes out of the sky today. Let's use that instead. It's the logical thing to do. Okay. I'm fairly optimistic on some of these areas. I know they look really bleak, but it seems like there's some really interesting things happening technologically, as you say, that everybody assumes that everything will be linear. But on a lot of these things, they absolutely won't, won't be linear. There'll be some session event that'll come in in all these areas. Well, you know, you look at Moore's Law, right? Doubling every 18 months or so means 10 times better in five years, 100 times better in 10 years, 1,000 times better in 15 years, 10,000 times better in 20 years. Now, you and I have both been in, in industry for more than 20 years. 
much more than 20 years, it's difficult to imagine what you can do with 10,000 times more compute power than you have today, or the same compute power for 10,000 times less money. The, yeah. the, the conversations you can have, the thought processes you can do, the what the answers are is not perhaps the bit that matters, it's what the questions are. You've got to be asking different questions at that point. It's, uh, it's interesting times. Well, I think that's part of the fun about looking at these industries. You can ask the right questions, say, what do you do with that compute? Like, we're in a 2D video conference call right now. 20 years ago, we would have been in an audio call. Maybe uh, in 10 years from now, we'll be in a 3D video call. We'll say, 2D, why were you on a screen? That doesn't make any sense. Sure. I, I do a video co conference call every Sunday morning and have done for 15 years with my mum. And the idea that she could just be sat in the chair on the couch opposite me, we, I mean, we sit on our couches, both of us, and just chat away every Sunday morning. And it's great. But she's this big on the screen. And I my mum's not very big, but she's not six inches tall. I want her to be perfectly lifelike sat in the room next to me. Why not? You want her to be, be life-size. I, I want her to be life-size, indeed. <laughs> so um, I ask all my guests this. Uh, you've been around the block a couple of times, Right, a lot of millennials coming out these days. I read the other day, forty-six percent of the work economy will be, or the business economy will be, millennials within four years, which, in some levels, is frightening and, let's say, it's exciting. Um, what advice would you be giving to these young people coming into business now? Well, I, I think the one thing that uh, they need to be doing is, is uh, continually learning. I think we grew up in a generation where you got your degree and then you stopped learning. But I think the things that you and I like, we're, we're constantly learning and questioning things. I guess the second thing is related to questions. Uh, I think you brought in your book, which I love, is about not just going for answers, because Google gives you every answer you could possibly imagine, but knowing the right questions to ask to get the answers. And then, uh, you know, I think you and I also believe our if you see any job that can be that can be copied and replicated, it'll be done by a computer. So it doesn't matter whether it's super low end or super high end. Um, so you need to be looking at things that can't easily be replicated. So things where you're asking questions and things where you're innovating and things where you're using your interpersonal skills that I think for, will still be better than computers for a while. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I agree with you entirely, of course. Uh, my first book was about that, the whole topic. And I got in contact uh, with, or a man called Fred Zimmerman got in contact with me and said, I thought you might be interested. I've got this application that writes books. And I'm like, what? This is frightening. What have you got? And he showed me this website and you basically type in five or six search terms or terms. So, of course, what did I do? I said, I'll write me a book about artificial intelligence. And it produced a 10,000 page book, a 10,000 word book. Now, was my book better? Well, of course it was. I'd like to imagine it was. But as a research paper, it was great. And it was probably better than my 14 year old could generate on the same subject. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at most, a lot of journalism today, especially around finance, it's formulaic. The company announces their earnings, how they do, how they do the variances. Computer, computers are generally writing that today. And if you look at writing a book, um, and basically there's a pattern on how to write a good book. You get the facts, you have a thesis, you put it together. So you got to figure that a computer is going to get damn good, if not better at writing books. So you better, you got to find something that's going to be, uh, not repeatable. 
Okay. I agree entirely, of course. Maybe the, computer, maybe the computer will be writing the book and we'll all spend our time uh, giving speeches about what the book says. Yes. Yeah, so the, there is an argument that says anything to do with human interaction is where the where it's difficult to imagine an artificial intelligence or a robot taking over that role. I don't think that robots will be turning up to give people speeches. After all, why? You can sit at home and do the same thing. Um, so creativity... Uh, persuading people of things, as you and I have discussed before, that's logical. That's where humans are good. Well, let me let me let me share with you a contrary thought on this thing. I think a lot of people are very worried about people losing their jobs and human beings being out of work. But if you think about the progress that we made in the last hundred years, it used to be that everyone worked, down from kids to you work till you died. And now we only have about two thirds of all people that can work working. So you don't have retirees working and kids working. So only half of people that can work, work anyway. So what if we had a world where the robots and computers could do everything for us? We didn't need to work. We could just kind of follow our bliss. And nobody worked. I mean, we don't, we don't lament the fact that we're not all farmers anymore. So who cares? Maybe we live in a world where there's enough money and abundance where nobody need, needs to work, but everybody does whatever they want. I mean, I think that's a Maybe, maybe not having to work and all being unemployed is a good thing, not a bad thing. I, I, I mean, I'll paint me a, a nicely utopian position, and I, I don't disagree except for one thing, that as The Economist pointed out about 10 days ago, for the first time in recorded history, the top 1% of the world economy, or the people in the world, top richest 1%, are now richer than the bottom 99%. So the problem with that is that because the means of production stay with the top 1%, they are the ones who own the factories, the businesses, the profits don't go to the people who no longer work. They go to the top 1%. It's probably somewhat beyond the scope of this podcast to talk about political positions, but certainly there's that sense of you need to have a more a better distribution of the wealth because otherwise it will concentrate. But that's a math problem. If our global economy today is $70 trillion, and let's say we were productive enough that the economy was a quadrillion dollars or 14 times as big, you could lop off some of that money and just give a guarantee. Not, it's not a math. Not a math. I'd argue that's a political problem, not a math one. And you, you could argue in a democracy, they're perfectly set up to stop the 1% gaining all the control because, after all, the 99% have 99% of the votes. They just need to actually use them. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a math, it is a political problem, but it's a math problem in that if you have enough money, you can redistribute it. If you don't have enough money and everybody's fighting over crumbs, then yeah. politics, politics will only mean everyone killing each other over the crumbs. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. So what keeps you awake at night professionally? I guess the next accession event. I mean, I, I'm looking at where right now we're, we're competing in an area where we're building video conferencing equipment that people know that they expect. I mean, basically, we're, we're making a lower cost device, but I'm worried about something that's totally different than the current model of thinking, whether it's 3D or multiple cameras or some other ways that people will, will get a meeting or video conference experience. I think we have to keep looking at how the market's changing, but also look at the way the underlying inputs of cameras and Moore's law are developing and make sure that we don't get blindsided by some of these new trends that are happening. So I guess that kind of keeps me away at, at night, making sure that we, I think we're doing really well in this phase, but there will be inevitably a next phase of doing video conferencing in a different way. And I'm not sure that we figured it out yet. We, we have time, but who knows how long. 
And how do you do? I think that's very laudable, right? I think most people get too busy doing to to uh, stop and go. Well, we better think about what's next, rather than just all be busy doing the thing that we're doing. Have you got a process that you use or a, a system? Or how do you try and keep ahead of all this stuff? I think we try to run our business on two tracks, where we have the the core business, where we really focus on optimizing that and making it better. But I think we all try to take time part of our group to really look at these trends. And then we will have some regular discussions that are kind of just not about the current roadmap, just start brainstorming about what we can do. And one of the, one of the books that really influenced me at a, at a professor in business school, which I know you, you're not a big fan of business school, but um, I'm not a fan of MBAs. It's not quite the same. Business school's fine. Just does it all need to be a formulaic MBA? No. I had this uh, professor who wrote this book called why not. And the whole idea behind it is he said, what if you take an existing idea and you do certain things to it? Like, what if you take an idea and you flip it upside down? So an example for that is if you look at mortgages, flipping it upside down would be a reverse mortgage. Or you can take a core technology, like there was a guy who invented a spinning um, lollipop. And he said, what else can I do with a patented thing that spins around? And he came up with the spinning toothbrush. So I like to kind of think about, all right, not thinking out of the box, but actually thinking inside the box where you take a particular constraint and you say, what else can we do with all of these things? Hmm. And I think it's an interesting way of, of innovating. And one of, my, one of my favorite books, because it is very prescriptive about how to innovate rather than just say, come on, guys, think outside the box, be creative, because it's <laughs> get garbage, right? Yeah, the, the, trouble with, um, the trouble with, in my experience of, of uh, brainstorming is that there's two problems with it. One, most people already rely on knowing things, and knowing is hard to get out of your own way for. And secondly, they kind of misunderstand the process and think it's all about refining their existing stuff. And, and of course, that's also what happens when businesses listen to their, their customers. What do you want? I want a faster, better version of the existing thing. It's why every car manufacturer, when they come up with a new model, it gets slightly bigger than the last year's model because everyone buys the whatever, the Ford X, and they go and ask them a year later, well, what did you think of the car? Oh, it's nice. It's really good, but it could do with being a little bit bigger. <laughs> and that's why Volkswagen Golf is now more than double the weight of the original Volkswagen Golf because they've done that for 30 years. The other thing we do, too, is instead of saying we're in the video conferencing business or the camera business, I think at the end of the day, we're in the meetings business. And if you think about it in the meetings business, you need more than just high-quality audio and video. You want to start the meeting on time. You want to look at people in a certain way. You want to interact with people in a certain way. Maybe you want to save the meeting or, or bring other people in. So I think it forces you to, to think about what you're building about the entire process, not just your little piece inside of what we're doing. And I think that, that helps. I think that's good. So uh, we're near the end. Final thoughts, nuggets of wisdom, things you want to share with anyone. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you want to leave our audience with? Um, uh, I guess I would say is if you've got a laptop and you're all huddled together around a conference room, don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a searing insight. Well, that's great. Well, look, Scott Wharton, you've been an absolute pleasure of a guest. Um, thank you very much for getting involved in today. And 
let's see what everyone thinks. You know, everyone after you've watched this or listened to it or whatever, however you've consumed this piece of media, uh, do get in touch. Uh, I know any questions you have, I can pass on to Scott and I would be delighted in taking some feedback. So thanks everyone. We'll speak to you soon. Great, thanks Simon.